This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Welcome to Clover's Healthy Aging Podcast. I'm Lauren Volkman from Clover Health, and I'm here with Dr. Kumar Damarajan, the Chief Scientific Officer at Clover Health. Welcome, Kumar. Hi, Lauren. Today, we're going to go ahead and talk about breast cancer awareness. It's a super important topic, something that I typically think about as more of like a middle-aged women's issue, but I know that it, of course, affects people of all ages and something that older adults, both men and women, need to think about when thinking about their healthcare journey. So let's just start with the basics. Are there different types of breast cancer? And if so, what are the types? Yeah. So first off, I agree with you. Very important topic, something that affects both men and women. And something that gets more common as people age, whether you're a man or a woman. And so I think it's a great thing to um, talk more about and educate our listeners about. So starting with the basics. So there are two types of cells in the breast, basically speaking. There are lobular cells and ductal cells. The lobules create breast milk and the ducts carry the breast milk. And about 80% of breast cancers come from the ductal cells. Um, And there's no real prognostic difference between the two, but there are the two types of cells that get cancer in the breast by and large. There are also three, what do we call biomarkers or proteins that are or aren't expressed on cancer cells of the breast that are really important for prognosis and treatment. You may have heard about these. They're the estrogen receptor, the progesterone receptor, and what's called the HER2 receptor, which is the human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, which is a mouthful. But having those receptors can really impact, um, or not having them, the kinds of treatment that someone um, gets and what's effective for them. Your doctor will use your biomarker status and the stage of the cancer to determine what's the best step for treatment. Interesting. I had no idea. Um, So I know that there are different stages of cancer. I I know that like one is not as bad as four. But could you maybe explain a little bit in more detail what are the differences in the different stages in breast cancer in particular? Absolutely. I'm going to throw you a curveball. There's actually five stages in breast cancer, which is stage zero. Um, So zero is non-invasive ductal carcinoma in situ. So if you've ever heard the term DCIS, which sometimes people use to refer to their breast cancer, that's stage zero. Mm. And stage one through four, um, which are all invasive breast cancer. So it's more advanced in stage one through four than stage zero. Um, Stage one is the least invasive of the invasive cancers and stage four is most. That's when you hear the term like metastatic cancer, advanced cancer often refers to stage four. So let me take you through those stages. So stage zero, like I said, is non-invasive breast cancer like DCIS, that ductal carcinoma in situ. So in that case, would you even know that you had it or is that the case that most people figure out they have it? Well, you can pick it up on a mammogram and other sorts of testing. You might not be able to feel it if you do a self-exam, but you can definitely identify it. Um, Definitely um, a significant percentage of you know, breast cancer cases are this DCIS or stage zero. But the important thing about stage zero is that there's no evidence of the cancer cells breaking out of that part of the breast where they started and, you know, invading into the surrounding tissue or going, you know, around the body. But stage one, you get to that invasive type of cancer, right? They're just breaking through or invading normal surrounding breast tissue. And then all the way at stage four, 
It's breast cancer that's spread beyond the breast and the surrounding what are called lymph nodes um, to other parts of the body. And in breast cancer, that's often the lungs, you know, skin, bones, the liver, the brain. And that's where you hear that metastatic or advanced cancer. And keep in mind, this is really a simplification. There are lots of, you know, gray area and stages in between. But on one extreme, you have cancer localized to the breast all the way to stage four where the cancer has gone to other parts of the body. Got it. So when we hear that cancers can move, like you can have a breast cancer tumor in your liver, is that basically what you're discussing here? Yeah, exactly. So um, this is a process called metastasizing. Um, Cancers can spread through the blood to other organs around the body and different cancers have a predilection to go into different parts of the body. Um, and, And breast, again, it's lungs, liver, bone, brain, you know, other cancers might be more likely to go to the skin. Some cancers can go to the eye. And so it's just, it's different by the type of cancer, but breast, you know, think about lung, liver, bone, and brain. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about, can can men get breast cancer? I, I haven't heard of that very often, but I feel like that's definitely something that men should be concerned about is too. Is that right? Yeah. So men can get breast cancer. It's definitely been in the news more uh, in recent years. And the bottom line is, you know, when we're all born, whether you're a man or a woman, you have some degree of breast tissue already. And then for women, that tissue develops more, more of it, you know, grows with time. But men never completely lose the breast tissue that they were born with. And so, so yeah, men can get breast cancer. It is, though, really rare. So less than 1% of all breast cancers are in men. But, you know, some of the same factors that, uh, you know, can increase the likelihood of breast cancer in a woman also are the same that are in a man, which is, you know, getting older, getting exposed to certain hormones like estrogens that can increase the risk that a cancer will grow. It's just, I wouldn't say as a man, it's something that you should necessarily worry about. Um, it isn't something that there's guidance that men should get screened on, like mammograms for men. But, you know, if someone has a family history, for example, of breast cancer in a man, something like that, then I think that's something that you need to go to a specialist and talk talk to that person about. That all makes sense. Um, so whether you're a man or a woman, um, how often should you do a self-exam? It's a good question. I think that's it's controversial. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some groups like the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, which is one of the main... Um, groups that weighs in on different types of screening tests, whether it's for breast cancer, colon cancer, or other conditions, actually doesn't recommend that anyone does a breast self-exam. On the other hand, you know, like the American Cancer Society and other groups, they do suggest it. This is my opinion on it because it's not, it's not clear what should be done. About 40% of breast cancers are diagnosed by the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they feel something, he or she feels something. And so I think if you are going to do a breast self-exam, it's important to first go to your doctor, your, you know, your primary provider, maybe you have a, a gynecologist, and, and learn the proper technique mm-hmm. as to how to do it. Uh, and then once you learn the proper technique, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting if that high of a number of people self-identify that and still some groups don't think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I think a lot of times what might be identified may not end up being breast cancer, or sometimes people might feel like, oh, I am doing self-exams, I don't feel anything, so then I shouldn't get a mammogram or other cancer screening. The reality is most cancers you can't feel, Mm -hmm. and, you know, 
you should still do whatever the recommended, you know, imaging protocol should be for you, even if you do the self exams. Good advice. Um, so what can someone do to reduce the risk of breast cancer, whether they're an older adult or younger person? Is there anything that we can do? I think the, the good thing here is that general advice about how to live a healthy lifestyle matters for breast cancer as well. So eating a healthy diet, exercising, doing appropriate cancer screening has been shown to reduce the risk of breast cancer. So you know, from a diet perspective, it's increasing your intake of fruits, vegetables, whole foods rather than processed foods, limiting fat intake to less than 30% of calories, and honestly, like exercising, trying to get, you know, 150 minutes a week at least of moderate intensity exercise. And I think one thing that's important is, especially if you're at higher risk for breast cancer, limiting alcohol consumption is important because there have been a number of studies that have shown that greater alcohol consumption is associated with an increased risk of breast cancer. Interesting. Um, so you talked about if there's breast, breast cancer in your family. Um, I know that like a lot of women have, you know, moms and aunts and things like that, that have had breast cancer. Um, so I've heard of the like BRCA gene. Is that something, can you explain what that is and if everyone should be getting tested for that? Yeah, that's a great question. So Genetics play an important part in cancer, and breast cancer, we know more about the risk of genetics and family history than we do for any other type of cancer. So the, the gene you brought up, the mm -hmm. BRCA gene, there's a few different BRCA genes. You know, if you're a person with that gene, you are more likely to, you know, higher risk of being breast cancer, and it is more important that you're aggressive about getting screened and treated. Um, so I think it's always best if you have a family history of breast cancer, um, you should talk to a genetic counselor and then find out whether, you know, your mother or let's say your grandmother or sister or someone else in your family um, should get tested for a genetic abnormality. And if they find that, then they can test you to see if you have that same one. That's the usual way of doing it. So rather than just testing the person who wants to know if they're at increased risk, you test the person who's developed the cancer already. And they'll look for that BRCA gene, but they'll look for a whole bunch of others. And if they find it, they'll say, okay, probably in this family, this gene or group of genes is the most likely culprit. And then they'll check other people in the family to see if that's, those same genes are there. So is that becoming more common? I think so, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think people necessarily should get screened for BRCA, just like everyone get a BRCA test. Mm -hmm. Because it is still pretty rare, unless you're in certain, like, you know, racial and ethnic groups are more likely to have that BRCA and, and other cancer mutations. So, you know, if, if you happen to be in that high risk group, then these recommendations may, may not apply to you. But across the population, you know, the Centers for Disease Control and other groups don't recommend like universal screening for BRCA mutations. But it's different if you have a family history. Right. It might kind of create a fear mentality if people started testing for it? Is that the concern? Yeah, I think it might create fear or unnecessary testing that follows up on it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reality is, I don't think we're at a point in medicine, unfortunately, we will get there where like we can do universal screening for breast cancer is just one cancer, but you have right. a lot of different parts to your body that potentially can get cancer at some point, right? And 
don't recommend anyone lives their life in that fear, right? With that fear, oh, I could get cancer in my stomach or my colon or my lungs or my liver. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I think the sort of the universal screening argument isn't there for BRCA, but again, for folks with family history or uh, other unique circumstances, very specific racial ethnic minorities, it might make sense. Great. That's helpful. Um, so in terms of testing, going back to testing, um, not too long ago, I read some media reports about a debate in the medical community about how often to get mammograms. So what's the current thinking on that? Again, I think there's still a debate. So the uh, fields of oncology, primary care, gynecology, radiology, they all have different guidelines. Um Primary care groups, again, that group I I mentioned before, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, they tend to be the most conservative and they find the least benefit from population-wide screening. But as you might imagine, oncology groups, you know, oncologists see patients with cancer um, and they tend to be the most aggressive with regard to screening. And it's, I think it's honestly, you know, primary care providers, most of the people they see don't develop breast cancer. Right. Versus in that highly specialized way, a breast cancer oncologist, 100% of the people he or she couldn't have, you know, mm-hmm. she's could have breast cancer. Um, but the one thing I think that's important to note, even the more conservative U.S. Preventative Service Task Force does recommend that women 50 to 75 years of age do get screening, but they don't recommend universally screening if you're less than 50 or you're greater than 75. Um you know, the cancer groups like the American Cancer Society, they suggest that anyone should get a mammogram as long as they have 10 or more years of expected life expectancy. So, you know, on the extreme case, if someone has only one year of life expectancy and it has to do with, let's say, their heart disease or another medical condition they have, it doesn't make sense to screen that person for breast cancer because even if even if you find something, you're not going to do anything about it. Um, so I think that's just another way of thinking about it, which is if you have a lot of years to live, it becomes more and more important to find cancer early. And in those groups, I think you can be more aggressive about screening. Got it. So today, what are the treatments for breast cancer and what is the prognosis for most people? I'm sure that it depends a little bit on whether they're stage zero or stage three when they find out, but I know that it kind of used to be considered more of a death sentence. So I'm curious if if things have improved in, in recent years? I mean, things have improved a lot. I think breast cancer is one of those cancers where, you know, treatment has come a really long way. Um, so most stages of breast cancer are actually curable. That means it's gone from your body after treatment. And even those folks with the stage four cancer, the metastatic cancer, um, though it can't be completely cured at that point, there may be treatment options to keep it under control, like a chronic disease uh, for many, many years. And so, uh, you know, it's a it's a type of cancer that most patients have options for. So I think the first question you asked me are like, what are the kinds of treatments? So I think there's a range of treatments. There's surgery, which is an operation where doctors cut out the cancer. Mm-hmm. There's chemotherapy, where uh, a doctor can give specialized medications. I can it can be a pill or it can be something that goes in your vein to try and either kill or shrink the cancer cells. There's hormonal therapy, which blocks cancer cells from getting hormones they need to grow. So those are those estrogen receptors, progesterone receptors that I was talking about at the beginning. There's biological therapy, which works with your body's immune system to fight cancer cells or to control side effects from other treatments. And finally, there's radiation, 
which is using high energy rays that are similar to x-rays to kill cancer cells. And in general, surgical treatments, like you may have heard of the term a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, they're more likely to be used when tumors are localized to the breast, meaning they haven't spread around the body. Same with radiation. Um, but chemo, hormonal therapy, and biological therapy, they can be used for what's called localized disease when it's just in the breast or metastatic disease when it's around the body. And it's complicated, I think, the treatment. Um, I won't do it justice, but it essentially depends on the tumor subtype, including its hormone receptor status, the stage of the tumor. They look also nowadays for genetic markers, um, the patient's health, their age, their preferences, and family history. And so I think those all go into um, the decisions around what specific treatment makes sense for any given patient. Yeah, well, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of options. So What's the general prognosis for someone, get very generally, maybe an early stage patient? Yeah, an early stage patient can be cured, right? And so if you catch it early enough and you cure it, it's like you don't have cancer anymore. Uh, and so a lot of oncologists think in terms of one-year survival, five-year survival, if you have early stage cancer, especially DCIS, the stage zero, and it's treated, your survival can just be like any other person who's never had breast cancer whatsoever. And then obviously, if you have stage four disease, then in many cases, life is limited by the breast cancer itself rather sure. than something else. Great. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share about breast cancer today? No, I just think it's really important. And, you know, I think it's something that our listeners can do something about. They can make sure they're screened. They can talk to their doctor if they have any questions. And, you know, it's something that people can get on top of to really try and improve their health. Great. That was super helpful. I learned a lot. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. Once again, I'm Lauren Volkman. I've been talking with Dr. Kumar Damarashan. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.